Ready for the call? You're not ready. You think you are. Alhamdulillah. It's coming. And Alhamdulillah. So, mercy of Allah Azza wa Jal, SubhanAllah, who alternates conditions, circumstances, seasons, and moods. Um, he is uh, two names of Allah that are kind of captured this reality of is al-qabib al-basir. He constricts and releases, withholds and seizes and gives. Subhanallah. And uh, as, as we ponder upon this, you're going to find actually linkages to Surah Yunus. And we'll talk about it shortly, but um, uh, subhanallah. First, uh, we're going to spend some time, inshallah, on the last two verses of uh, Surah At-Tawbah. I was talking to my dear brother Musaddaq <laughs> last uh, uh, Sunday and he sat with me and he was like, the last two verses of Surah Tawbah. So Jazakallah khair for the reminder. We glossed over them because of time, but they definitely deserve special attention. And we've seen this pattern before where the conclusions of certain surahs uh, contain some of the most glorious verses in the Quran. We've seen that in what surahs? Remind me of conclusions, surah conclusions that were standouts. Like Baqarah, Zakallah The last two verses of Baqarah, you read them at night. The Prophet says, You're going to have protection from Allah to you. Shaitan will not come to you. And no harm will come to you. Guaranteed by Allah Azza wa Jal. Amana Rasulu. Right? Memorize then teach your children those two verses. And just as we are keen on reciting Ayatul Kursi after each salah and at night, similarly recite those two verses when you go to bed. You're guaranteed the protection and the mercy of Allah Azza wa upon you. Very special because they speak of faith. And they speak of the, the, how, how the believers submit to Allah Azza wa It's beautiful. SubhanAllah. And then we found also another set of verses, 10, specifically, in what surah? Al-Imran. Second, subhanAllah, second major surah. Of course, it's number three, but it's the second major long surah. What does it begin with? In the creation of the heavens and the earth and the alternation of nine a day are ayat li'uli al-bab. Signs for those who reflect. And they did two things. You want to know if you're an intelligent, thoughtful person of intellect, do the things you have to do. You'll, oh, and you'll find it in Surah Yunus. What is it? Constantly thinking about the creation of Allah and how it takes you back to Allah. Engaging in that. I mean, how, again, we spent a session on this. Do we do that at all when we're driving to the masjid? When we're sitting by ourselves? When you're in your backyard? Do we contemplate the sons of Allah? They settle you. That's true. But does it take you to Allah? Or are we again glossing over the sons of Allah? And the second is they constantly engage in the what? Remembrance of Allah. In what condition? While they're standing, while they're sitting, and while they're leaning. Allah's name is on your mouth. Is in your mouth. SubhanAllah. Rolling out of your tongue. That's amazing. Two sides. The Prophet when we spoke about how he loved to recite those verses. When? Tahajjud. And he used to uh, cry when he recites them. Cries. And uh, Bilal asked him in Fajr prayer, Why are you crying, O Prophet of Allah? He said, How would I? And these verses have just been revealed to me. And no one comes across them without understanding or reflecting on them, except that they are losing, missing out. <clears throat> Woe to them, right? So we've seen this happen. And ends of surahs captured the, the spirit. The essence of a surah, typically, typically, right? 
In the same way, Salah, we're coming, uh, coming across two verses at the end of Surah At-Tawbah, which leads up to Surah Yunus, and they're linked to the first verse of Surah Yunus. That's why it's essential to understand him. And Surah At-Tawbah was entitled Tawbah, repentance, returning to Allah, and the story of who kind of highlighted the, the lessons, the meanings of that surah. Story of who? Which companion? Yeah, I heard it, and I'm, I wanted to hear it from somewhere else, because it's like we spent a lot of time on it. Ka'b ibn Manah. Remember the story? This man who was one of the best of the companions of Prophet Muhammad because of what? Some laziness. Misses out on a major battle. Misses out on a major battle. But what did he do that saved him? Spoke the truth. Unlike all the other hypocrites, and the people who got away, who gave excuses to the Prophet for missing a key expedition. They did not join an expedition. Tabuk, the Tabuk expedition, with the Romans. That never, actually, no battle took place. But he did not show up to the, to the you know, join the army. Why? Not because he didn't want to. Just because he kept delaying, even though he was capable. Now, when the Prophet came back, he showed up to the masjid with the rest of the 70 others that didn't join and everybody sat down to offer excuse. Oh, Prophet Allah was sick. Oh, Prophet Allah, I was this. Oh, Prophet Allah, was my wife is pregnant. All kinds of excuses. And he's saying, it's okay. It's okay. May Allah forgive. May Allah forgive until Ka'ab sat. And what did Ka'ab say? Prophet Allah, I'm not going to lie to you. I had no reason not to join the army. I was just lazy. I didn't jo- join. I didn't show up. No excuse. What did he say to him? In front of everybody. As for Kaab, he spoke the truth. So it's like the others must have heard that's like, oh shoot, he knows we lied, right? Uh, but then he prayed for them. Brothers and sisters, this is a major lesson actually for all of us. You need to gloss over what people do oftentimes. Unless they're really harming you, harming the community, and it needs to be stopped. A lot of times you need to let go. Even with children, you need to let go. Yaqub did that, let go, right? Because you cannot correct everything in life. Even ourselves. Others need to gloss over a lot of our mistakes. Otherwise, life will not proceed. But we know what happened. So what happens to him? And why is the, the two verses are important because of what happens to him. The Prophet ﷺ, what did he impose on him? Boycott. He said, nobody talks to this man. Until Allah settles his matter. No one talks to him. Can you imagine? <clears throat> like, what did I do? Right? No one talks to me? 50 days. Can you imagine? And it got to the point on day 40 when he asked him to not to talk to who? His own wife. Stay away from her. You cannot be sharing a bed with her. Can you imagine the harshness and toughness of that on him? He said to capture his uh, emotional state, he said what? It felt as if Allah has mentioned, captures it in one verse, right? Um, in verse 119, please go back to it. He said, upon the three, he was joined by two others who were sincere, older people who did not join the, the expedition. He said, upon those three, life felt like it was narrowed down, constricted. You know when you're like, all doors close in your life and you're about to lose your breath from the misery, from the sadness. You feel tightness. Life seems wide open, but it feels what to you? Narrow, wretched, miserable. He said it felt like that, like that until Allah what? Sent the statement, the verse down that they are forgiven. 50 days, can you imagine? And he showed up to the masjid after the Prophet said, call him, Allah sent verses about him. SubhanAllah. And he was accepted, and he said himself, oh Allah, the truth saved me. Oh Prophet Allah, I'll never tell a lie. Because I know what saved me is telling the truth. SubhanAllah. Now, you would imagine, you would think that, why would the Prophet do that to him? Why would Allah do that? Seems what? Very harsh. I mean, people do make mistakes all the time. Why do we have to impose on him a boycott to teach him a lesson? Is that really proportional to the crime? No battle took place anyway. You could have just reprimanded him, you know, just a little, you know, uh, you know, kind of strike on his, you know, light kind of touch on his hand, like he'll do with the baby, say, don't do it again, right? That's it. Because he's a good man. 
Did it, it seemed like it was quite harsh. Who did this, where did this come from? From Allah, ultimately. But it's the Prophet who's engaging with him. He's the one engaging with the community. How often does it happen that we question the actions of people around us? And we say, this is merciful, this is harsh, this is, you know, out of touch, this is unwise. Don't we say this? So Allah in this surah of Tawbah, where he speaks of returning back to Allah, that the door of the repentance to Allah, returning, is never, never closes until you die. Literally. There's no such a thing as too late to return back to Allah Azza wa Jal. But ultimately, the guidance of Allah is communicated through His Qur'an and through who? Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has to carry these commands to the people. And sometimes people might not like it. When he says, pray five times a day. When he says, pay zakah. Make charity. Strive in the path of Allah. When he says, avoid the, <coughs> avoid the haram. Avoid illicit relationships. Avoid alcohol. Dress in a certain way. Be modest. Speak well. Some of these... Uh, you know, whatever, avoid usury, um, don't eat pork, whatever it is. Sometimes it feels as if it's too what? Too difficult. Why are we making Islam so hard? Why are we making Islam so harsh? What's up with that? Just let people be. And this man who brought it, because that's what they're saying, it's like, oh, what is he saying now? Why is he like making life difficult on us? So Allah has to conclude that whole surah entitled the return to Allah, repentance, by talking about who? His beloved. To remind you and me and the kuffar of Mecca, that the ultimate mercy given to you is this prophet. You might think it's harsh what he's telling you. You might think he's difficult with you. But you know what? This man's heart, his qualities, speak to his compassion and concern for you. And that's a blessing of Allah. So what, is the, what do the verses say? And these are also verses deserving of ref, deep reflection and, and, and our attachment to them. Like if you want to teach your children about Prophet Muhammad from the Quran, point them to these two verses. Share it with them. Say, let me talk to you about Prophet Muhammad. What kind of a heart did he have? We often focus on his sunnah, right? What he did, what he said. We need to focus on his heart. Allah literally in these two verses, and it's an odd conclusion. Allah's talking about kuffar. This surah was uh, marked by references to which group of people? Talked a lot about who? Hypocrites. It's actually one of the most intense surahs in addressing the hypocrites and the kuffar. So much so that the first verse of the surah was not what? Or it did not begin with what? Basmalah. It did not begin with Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim an apt conclusion to it should be hellfire, right? If you don't repent, you're going to the hellfire. It didn't end that way. It, it ended, excuse me, it, it didn't end with that. It ended with the most intimate <laughs> notes to attach your heart and my heart to Prophet Muhammad Because there's no way to go to Jannah without love of Prophet Muhammad Without him occupying a central place in our hearts. The question is, do you and I really love him? Or is our attachment to him merely constricted to sunnas, right? And you know, we have to follow him, but that's it. The Prophet and Allah demand more than that. More important, they say, do you love Allah and Prophet Muhammad Allah is interested in our affection. And he made, brought the Prophet to us to attach to him <coughs> as, as a son, as a daughter, attaches to a father and more and more. And he says, when you do so, you're going to become purified. Your faith will be elevated. Who, would, who amongst us thought that by you exerting an effort to study about Prophet Muhammad and learn about him and love him, really genuine love and not just words, your faith will be purified, elevated? People miss this. Miss this completely that when we speak of increasing our faith, you see, we're not here just to learn rules and meanings. I pray to Allah that we're not here for that only. And ultimately, it's a great thing to learn the message of Allah. But you know what's most important? Expand our hearts for loving Allah and ask Allah that Allah elevates our faith. Because if faith is not affected by all that we study, then what's the point? One of the means to affect your faith, strongest of means, is Quran and what? Loving Prophet Muhammad we, did, we might not know this or understand it really well. So Allah mentions, concludes the surah by reflecting on who he is. 
to remind us that the man who brought you these teachings and guidance has a special heart that loves you. So he begins the, the, the verse by saying, لَقَدْ جَاءَكُمْ رَسُولٌ مِّنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ عَزِيزٌ عَلَيْهِ مَا عَلِتُمْ حَرِيصٌ عَلَيْكُمْ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ رَأُوفٌ رَحِيمٌ فَإِن تَوَلَّوْا فَقُلْ حَسْبِيَ اللَّهِ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا هُوْ عَلَيْهِ تَوَكَّلْتُ وَهُوْ رَبُّ الْعَرْشِ الْعَظِيمِ Two very simple short verses. An odd conclusion to a surah that talks about intense punishment for those who don't repent, don't humble themselves. What does it begin with? Translation, indeed there came to you. Indeed there came to you. Who came to you? Rasul. A messenger. He's reminding us, hey, it's a blessing, mercy of Allah, that someone came to you from Allah, sent by Allah. Who is he? Rasul. Right? Muhammad sallallahu alayhi But then what does he say next? He starts, because we might forget who he is. Ah, it's a messenger of Allah. Just No, he says, no, 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 no. He's a human from you. From you. First of all, him. He's a human being like you. Well, why is that a big deal? See, the kuffar of Mecca, let me tell you, good, you give you some context. The Prophet ﷺ, they tested him, lived with him, experienced him for how many years before he became a prophet? 4-0. They loved him so much because he was a very special human being, known for his honesty, truthfulness, reliability, trustworthiness, so much so that they came to him for their disputes trusted his judgment, that he knew he cared for everyone, that they would go seek his advice and counsel, so much so that when someone traveled, leaves the town, whatever possessions they had that they were worried about, that it gets stolen, where would they keep it? Muhammad, knock on his door, please, can you please keep this with you? Can I hold it with you until I come back? Absolutely, he'll never say, no, I don't have place. Sure, I'll hold that item for you. And when he returns or she returns back, here it is, untouched. Who does that? Not once in 40 years did they ever experience what? A lie? Indiscre you know, indiscretion? Impropriety? Dishonesty? Uh, hypocrisy? Indecency? Inconsistency? Never, not once. So much so that they called him what? As-Sadiqul Amin. He earned the title in Mecca. No one else earned that he is the truthful and I mean that trustworthy. Can you imagine having a reputation like that amongst people? But this is nothing like a reputation of ethics, morality, and, and, and care amongst the people. There's nothing like that. It's that people look up to you. They become a role model for people in terms of your behavior. Right? The Prophet earned the best. That's from Allah. Allah's shaping him. Allah's the one who gave him that character. Why? Because he has to become a what? Prophet of Allah. How would you listen to someone you don't trust? Right? So they themselves acknowledge this publicly. So, and now they experienced him. They have never heard a lie. Now suddenly when he's told he's a prophet and he comes and proclaims this amongst the people, what should they do? Should they believe him or not? Of course, logically, they should say, hey, he never told a lie in his life. So he never lied on his own behalf. He never lied on the behalf of everybody, anybody else, a human being. Suddenly, he's, he, he might be lying on behalf of who? Allah? That's what they should think. Because he suddenly told them, hey, listen, I'm a messenger of Allah. I'm here to save you. He went on a hill, said, hey, you know, bed with this, bed with that, the tribes of his family. And everybody said, like, hey, show up. I want to tell you something. And everybody showed up. Why? Because they believed him. If Muhammad says, وسلم, I'm here to tell you something important, everybody says, yeah, yeah, what is it? I mean, it's, it's, it's Muhammad saying this. It's a big deal. He gathered the tribes and he said, what if I had to tell you that there is an invading army coming from behind me right now? Would you believe me? What did they say? They said, Absolutely. You tell us anything, we'll believe you. So he set him up. He said, what if I were to tell you that I'm a messenger of Allah, warning you of a punishment of the hell? They said, what? You a fool. You a fool. Right? Can you imagine? Suddenly, like 40 years, you're calling me the truthful. And now I'm showing up to lie on behalf of God. That's a big deal, brother and sister. That's like not a normal lie. He's not just lying now. He might be lying on what? Against God. That's a big deal. It's not like lying against a human being. No, 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 no. I'm claiming that I'm his messenger. That's not normal. 
So in their minds, they were like, whoa, 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 suddenly no lies in your life, and now you make the biggest lie? They're not thinking. Because what? What's holding them back is their desires. Very simple. And they're interested in maintaining the status quo of exploiting the weak, the poor. Quraysh is like, doesn't want to lose its financial uh, elitist status in Mecca. I mean, they are guarding the Kaaba. Tribes come to them from all over Arabia. They have the idols inside. So they are the preeminent, loftiest, highest ranking tribe in Arabia. Nobody messes with them. You're telling us messenger of God and all that business. Like, no, 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 cut that out. Liar, liar, liar. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Then they said something else. Some was fool, right? Mad man. God would send us a messenger who's what? Human? Where? No, 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 no. If God wanted to send the messenger, the messenger should be what? Angel. Allah says, you are really fools. Fools. Why is that? What if an angel came? First of all, you cannot see an angel. So the angel has to take what? Human form. Right? They're not thinking. But they're pretending. Right? They're making things up. Because they don't want to believe. They don't want to believe. They want the, they want the easy way. And they want to submit to Allah or any teachings. So if, if the angel has to take human form, but an angel, brothers and sisters, is not a human. He doesn't have what? He doesn't have uh, will. They don't have choice. So are there, is their behavior going to be like human beings? No. No. Will that angel understand your feelings and my feelings and your suffering, my suffering? No. Do they have really that compassion? No. They're angels. They just submit to Allah. So now when they come to you and their angels saying, we're prophets of God to deliver to you the message, what would you think Quraysh would say? What? You want me to follow an angel? They're perfect. How would... Come on, that's not fair. You expect me to behave like an angel? So they, Allah's telling them, you guys are like really messing around. Because if I send you an angel, you cannot imitate an angel. The whole point of a prophet is not just to convey lessons to you. It's for him to become a what? Role model for you. Show you how to live your life. That's the beauty of Islam, by the way. You will not find this in any other religion. Where you have documentary, a documented history to the minutest detail about how your messenger lived his life. It's extraordinary. How he even went into the bathroom. Right? How he cleaned his teeth. Well, are you going to find that with Jesus Christ or Moses or, or Yunus or Noah? No way. There's no way. How he lived with his children and wife. How he treated his neighbor. How he consulted with people. What time he woke up. What time he slept. How he cleaned himself. How he remembered. How he, how he was sad. How he cried. How he prayed. Where else are they going to find this? That's why it's important. But sisters, you cannot understand the Qur'an. You cannot just turn to the Qur'an for guidance by itself. You have to also combine it with Prophet Muhammad He's the walking Qur'an. Through which we see a living example of how to live. How to even feel. That's why it's dangerous with these movements that say we only listen to what? Qur'an and the Sunnah. Well, we don't know if it's authentic, not authentic. We're not going to pay attention to that. You know the first simple answer, if somebody comes and tells you that, say, how, how, how did you learn how to pray? How did you learn how to pray? How did you learn how to make sujood? Rukur? How did you learn how to make wudu? Brothers and sisters, well, a couple of things are mentioned in wudu here. But we don't exactly know how to do it. Right? How the masih. But how, do you about, how about beginning the salah with fatiha? Then a surah, then subhana rabbi al-azim in ruku'ah, then subhana rabbi al-a'la in salah, then it's four units for this salah, three units for maghrib, two units for fajr. How did we learn that? So, it's not in the Quran, by the way. What's in the Quran is prayer. And observe timeliness when you pray. Allah said that. But how we prayed was illustrated through who? Prophet Muhammad. We forget this. So I always answer people who tell me, no sunnah, no hadith. Because I don't know if it's true. I say, I mean, if just, just think, how are you praying right now? They're like, oh, right? Like, very simple answer. It's not complicated. So it's important. So what I'm saying is that he had to be a human being for us to learn. 
And more important even, he said, it's my mercy to you that I sent you, and I'm going to translate now. Allah said, there came to you a Rasul min anfusikum. From you, O Quraysh, he's one of you. It's a blessing that he's one of you. You should be honored. But not only this, he's from your tribe. You've lived with him, you experienced him. He's a human being, not an angel, out of the mercy of Allah Azza wa Jal, so that you know who you're dealing with. And you've already seen that he's truthful, he's trustworthy, and he's a man that connects with you, understands your custom and what? Your language. They said, whoa, how can a prophet be walking amongst us in the streets and in the market? Brothers this is really powerful, powerful meanings. Allah said the prophet had to walk with you in the streets. The prophet has to speak your language. He's not a foreigner who doesn't understand you. Imagine now saying, no, no, I want him to be an angel. What Allah is saying is also for you to really be effective with people, to teach them, guide them. You have to be from where? Amongst them. You have to understand their culture, their language, their likes, their dislikes, their temperaments, their cultural expression, their artistic even expression, what, it, what pains them, what joys them. Somebody who's not from amongst the people is not going to be effective, by the way. Will not be effective. Imagine those of us who say, don't even speak the language. Like, subhanAllah, like, just, and we think that's a trivial thing. Allah's teaching us how to communicate even. He says, so it's a mercy of Allah that he sent you this message. And then he starts to tell them what his qualities are. Because it's the mercy of Allah. Remember the story of Ka'b. Oh, that was too harsh. Here's what Allah says. Aziz, mm-hmm. Aziz has many meanings. Aziz means rare. It means special. Something special and rare, right? Um, or uncommon. But it also means difficult. Aziz, like it was hard on me. It, tro- it brought me trouble. It, 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 it gave me uh, hardship and difficulty. So Allah is saying about the first quality is that it troubles him. It grieves him for you to do what? To experience any pain or suffering. Did we think about this, about Prophet Muhammad So when he's communicating the message of Allah, hey, pray, fast, avoid haram. How many of us think, oh, subhanAllah, Prophet Muhammad he doesn't want me to suffer. And he's telling me this so that I get protected from what? Pain later. Why do we, parents, why do we tell our children to sleep early, go to school, drink your milk early, right? Uh, study. Why do we push them so hard? For our children, does it, doesn't it look harsh? How often do they say, why are you making my life hard? Why? 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 Why do I have to, why is there a curfew on me? How come I cannot hang out with any friends I want? How come I cannot be on my, on my, you know, playing video games 10 hours a day? How come it's fun? What does the father or mother say? You have no idea. You're going to suffer later. It's out of my concern for you that I'm telling you this. That I'm helping you understand this, but you, you have a limited mind. You're not going to understand this until later, but you have to do it. In the same way, brothers and sisters, everything that the Prophet asked us to do or to avoid, it's out of a deep concern. He, by the way, he, might, he didn't have to have that concern. Allah gave him a special heart that whenever he reminded people, his top concern was to protect them from the hellfire. Now think about yourself, compare yourself. How often when we invite others to the truth, guide them, help them, are we driven by this profound concern for them as a father or a mother talking to a child? I'm so worried about you. And you don't have to say it. Like, it's inside. Your heart is going to bleed. It's crying out of concern for them. How many of us thought like, the, like this about Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? Allah's reminding Quraysh. He says, you have no idea what concern he has for you. You have no idea how much it pains him for any of you to go to the hellfire and suffer later. And he didn't bring you any of this for you to suffer. Because it pains him as a father for you to suffer. Everything he's asked you to do, it's for your interest and your for protection. Does that make sense? So Allah's... Allowing us to understand who? The heart of Prophet Muhammad So he says, Another quality. He's so protective over you. Um, Haris means he's so anxious over you. He's like keenly anxious in, 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 in giving you his care. In surrounding with his love and affection. Haris. He's always looking out for your interests. 
looking out for your needs. Did you ever think Prophet Muhammad is driven by that spirit? That's his spirit. Again, a heart given to him by Allah as a human being who understands your pain. So the Prophet is not just a communicator of the message. No, the Prophet is a man of a heart that understands your pain and my pain, sympathizes, empathizes with you, puts himself in your shoes all the time. So he never talks to people without a heart, by the way. That's amazing. And he's reminding us of this. And reminding Quraysh. That's the man that you're rejecting. Thank Allah for him. Rahmah lil'alameen. A mercy to all the worlds. All the worlds. Even He feels with an animal. He feels with the atom. He feels with the cloud, the stone. Who has a heart like this? That's, that's Islam, brothers and sisters. It has to be driven by spirit. It's very sad that when we teach Islam, you know, we reduce it to just rituals, spiritless rituals, do's and don'ts, without a spirit of affection and care, first for Allah and His Prophet, then for the creation of Allah. Underneath it all, our interactions with human beings have to, has to have that spirit of really concern for them. Not just a kuffar, different, going to the hellfire. We should be crying if somebody goes to the hellfire, right? Crying, bleeding. That's Islam. And that's Prophet Muhammad So he says, first of all, Azizun Ali, it pains him for you to suffer. Number two, he's so caring for you. He's so anxious over you. Number three, what else? Bil mu'minina, the next two qualities. Bil mu'minina. Now, if you believe in him, he's going to give you extra attention. Ra'ufun rahim. Ra'uf means compassionate. Rahim means merciful. Ra'uf, Ra'fa shows up when? When you're about to, when you're about to hurt yourself. So we say like the, a father or mother who has Ra'fa in Arabic, He's like, oh, feels pain for you, and he's so compassionate towards you. He wants to relieve you of your pain. So it's when you experience pain, they want to lift it. Like if your child gets hurt, and your heart starts to you know, break, right? And you want to just remove the harm from them, that's Rafa. Make sense? Rahim is merciful overall. You want them to be happy, you give them things, whether it's withdrawal or removal of things that harm them, or giving them things that make them happy. That's Rahmah, mercy. Now, who called himself Ra'ufur Rahim? Inna Rabbakum la Ra'ufur Rahim. Allah declared about himself. These are two names of Allah. These are attributes of Allah mentioned in the Quran. Indeed, your Lord is Ra'uf, compassionate, Rahim. He has incredible empathy towards you, compassion, awareness of your pain, and he wants to relieve you of that pain, and he is so merciful with you. Allah reminds us these are th- these are some of the most ex- you know supreme of qualities of Allah Azza and now He just gave them to who? Called the Prophet Ra'uf Rahim. That's an amazing thing. He's reminding us: I gave this Prophet two qualities that are attributable to me, derived from me personally. For him to carry out this message, lift you from darkness to light, take you home to Jannah. He's not just a man communicating. He has qualities derived from me personally. And I'm going to call him by those qualities. Ra'uf, Rahim. How would you not love a man like this? So he's telling Quraysh, are you guys out of your mind? Instead of thanking me, that I gave you a man of this enormous love, affection, care, concern for your pain, more than a father with his child, and you're complaining about him? You're calling him liar? You don't want to believe him, and you're hurting yourself. He's not just a communicator, a deliverer of a message. No, he's a man of incredible care and concern. He has a tremendous heart, and it's a blessing of Allah. And his rahmah is mercy on you. Again, what's this surah, Tawbah? You remember the story of Ka'ab? Was he harsh then? Was he harsh when he imposed the boycott? It appeared difficult. It's from Allah, ultimately. But people can say, oh, he's too difficult, he's too harsh. He's reminding us, no, 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 no. He's actually very merciful. He did what he did out of the guidance of Allah to change the life of Ka'ab and to teach all of us so that we're safe from what? From the hellfire. Because if we don't repent and return to Allah in time, the Prophet will cry over you and me. The Prophet said, I will never rest. Never rest on the day of judgment until all the believers are in Jannah. 
never rest. He's in pain. It's narrated, brothers and sisters, just to illustrate to you how compassionate the Prophet Muhammad said. When he used to sit alone, do you think he's just chilling out? Say, Alhamdulillah, I'm done with my work for the day, right? He used to sit and cry. One report says that the Prophet was sitting down, <coughs> reflecting on your condition and my condition. Where are my children going to go? You know when you're concerned over the faith of your children? I've been talking a lot, a lot about this lately with atheism and spread of secularism, materialism, distractions. Many of our children are losing their faith. This is real. Many of us are losing our faith. Many of us are lost. Lost in this ocean of life, being distracted. But when we go to bed at night, aren't we thinking about our children? Thinking, saying, oh, Allah, what's going to happen with them? Where are they going to go in life? Are they going to pray? Are they going to be good Muslims? Are they going to believe in Allah? I can tell you personally. I mean, I say, Ya Allah, you, without you, there's no guidance or mercy. But because of the things that I see, the number of people that come to me doubting Islam, Muslims, or who have left Islam, or who are broken, or who are addicted to uh, toxic substances, and name it, they're doing it. I see so much on a daily basis that when I go home, I'm very concerned. I look at my children and I'm terrified. I actually go to bed like every single night, I'm just making dua for them. You know why? Because of what I see outside. Even my, my wife notices, let's let chill out a little bit. You're too anxious. I say, subhanAllah, Allah, relieve me. I mean, as a, I speak as a father here, right? I say, Ya Allah, I just trust in you. You're the one who guides hearts. Because it's real. Prophet Muhammad when he used to go home, brothers and sisters, he's not crying just for his children, for all of us. He's worried that we will not make it to Jannah. So one day he cried. He was crying. So Allah sent Jibreel down and asked, and he knew why he was crying. He said to him, ask him why he's crying. And Jibreel came and asked Prophet Muhammad He said, oh Prophet Allah, Allah just sent me to you. Why are you crying? He said, ummati, ummati. My ummah, my ummah. And he's shedding tears. What does he mean? He didn't say anything else. Ummati, ummati. I'm concerned for them. Now when I die, what's going to happen to them? What's going to happen to the future Muslims who didn't see me? He's not just concerned about the people of Mecca and Medina. Down the line to the day of judgment, he's thinking about all of us. And then Allah told Jibreel, tell him, you shall receive good news about your ummah. And don't worry, we'll never hurt your ummah because of you. Can you imagine? Allah's love for him is so profound, so deep, so overwhelming. He says, don't worry. You know when you love someone? Abdullah, don't worry, man. Just that person, I don't know them. But I'll take care of it because I love you, man. Right? You know that? And you, someone you love them so much, you say, don't worry. Yeah, I didn't even know them. I'll hire them for you. I will not punish them just for you. Allah's telling him that and telling all of us, like, that's how much you're blessed that he's your prophet. He'll treat you in a special way just because Muhammad is our prophet. So he tells him, comfort him. Tell him, don't cry. We shall give you good news about your ummah and we'll never hurt you because of your how special you are. And the Prophet says, calm down. And on the day, if you think his mission is over, his mission is not over, brothers and sisters. The Prophet would come out of his grave with not, no other concern but to intercede on your behalf and my behalf to put us in Jannah. That's it. And he sends us glad tidings. And you know he'll be waiting. Like a father who hasn't seen his children for a very long time. And we know the story that when he went to the Battle of Uhud, the scene of the Battle of Uhud to visit the graveyard of the 70 martyrs. If you've been, have you been to, everybody seen that graveyard? Yep. Raise your hand. Have you seen it? 70 people, including Hamza, is buried there. And it's fenced. So when you, when you go to the site of Uhud, you'll see it close to the mountain of the archers. And inshallah, we'll do it again inshallah at the end of December. We'll, inshallah, for those of us going, we'll see it again inshallah. Reminder. He went to visit. And then on his way back home, that's right before he died. Days before he died, he started to cry. On his way back home, he's crying. His friends are around him. They're like, oh, Prabhupada, why are you crying? He says, I miss my brothers. They're like, what? We're here. Why are you missing us? We're here with you. He said, no, no, I didn't mean you. You're my companions. 
right? The brothers that I'm talking about, by the way, brothers is mentioned generically here. It includes sisters, right? Males and females. It says, I'm not talking about you. And like, who are you talking about? He said, I'm talking about a people, my brothers and sisters will come after me, believing in me, they've never seen me. Cry. I've never seen them, I'm worried about them, right? He died in that, in that condition. So Allah's telling us this in the last proof of our stories. You need to appreciate, be happy with that, right? Understand he's going to be standing there for you to intercede on your behalf, no matter what your mistakes are, transgressions are, just attaching to him will save you. And of course, it doesn't mean no action. I'm just, we have to strive. Allah knows our hearts. But what do we do? I mean, how much can we do to earn Jannah? Really, it's not our efforts. Allah just wants us to help ourselves. Get up and do your, your <coughs> utmost. And wallahi, attachment to Prophet Muhammad by itself will, will suffice. But genuine, authentic love for Prophet Muhammad and interest in, in taking, subhanAllah, following his footsteps as much as we can. So Prophet Muhammad will stand on the day of judge, brothers and sisters, and he says, I am the master of the children of Adam. And no pride in saying this. Allah made me the master. And I'm the first to come out of the graves. When the day of judgment, when the trumpet is sounded, the first to come out of the graves is who? Prophet Muhammad Because he has the ultimate mission, save you and me. Right? Save you and me. And by the way, Allah doesn't need Prophet Muhammad to do this. He's so merciful. But he wants to show us that you need this man. I gave him to you. I made him like this. Follow him. He says, and I am the first I'm the first to intercede and I'm the first to be granted the intercession by Allah. No one else. No other prophet has this. Subhanallah. And, and the Prophet will stand on the Day of Judgment and people will be like, you know, you can imagine billions of people, the wait is so long. Now, of course, for this is experienced differently, by the way. We tend to terrify people inappropriately about the Day of Judgment. The Day of Judgment for the believer is, is a breeze. Allah guaranteed it. Allah's merciful. Allah's compassion. Allah's not looking out to punish people. But this is, we earn it. Whatever wrong, whatever suffering we do, most of the time, we earn it. Wallahi. Right? And especially on the Day of Judgment, that's for people who really refuse, rebel against Allah. Tawbah, Surah is what? Tawbah, you didn't. I'm opening the door, please come back. Last second, please come back. But people don't come back. They continually re reject, disbelief, argue, spread mayhem on earth. Indeed, there has to be a hellfire for that. You know what I'm saying? For those of us who ask, like, why is there a hellfire? Oh, where's the mercy of God? I'm like, seriously? We have law enforcement on earth. Do you accept a lawless society? Do you accept no accountability for somebody who raped 10 children or one child? Do you really accept that? Do you accept somebody who, subhanAllah, goes and slaughters people and tortures them, and then using a saw to cut them, right? Do you really accept? Is that okay with us? Somebody takes your child and kidnaps him, is that okay with us? And does it repeatedly? Alhamdulillah for the help part, right? I say logic, let's use logic, very simple. And, that's, and Allah's still merciful that He gave us that. It's out of the mercy of Allah that He gave us. Allah's just, adl. There's no way He'll impose transgressions or, excuse me, you know, uh, there's no way He'll act with an injustice against anyone. So the Prophet says, you know, the, the people will be waiting for a long time on the Day of Judgment. For the believer, it's very quick. It's felt differently by different people on the Day of Judgment. And they'll be drowning in their sweat. And they'll start turning to the prophets who will intercede with Allah to start the Day of Judgment. They just wanted to, you know, get it over with. You know, when you're waiting too long, I don't know if you've ever been on a checkpoint. Have you been on a checkpoint before? The worst that has happened is waiting at the airport. Oh, one hour. Oh, where's the plane? We start to complain, right? I've been waiting for the bus. Uber didn't show up. Blah, blah, blah. As if what? Like, subhanAllah, mashallah, suffering. Right? We have not seen suffering, brothers and sisters. Waiting for miles in Africa or in far fringes of Asia for a cup of water. Standing the whole day because there's no clean water, just, subhanAllah, for a little bit of a bucket of water and carrying it back home for miles. This happens all over, right? 
People lined up on checkpoints to enter into their villages. As happens in, I'm Palestinian, I can tell you this happens with, with where, I, where I came from, right? Days, you can, hours on a check just to enter. Totally humiliated. So weights are very torturous. On day of judgment it happens, and a lot delays it. And people will turn to every prophet, from Adam to Nur to Ibrahim, to Musa, to Isa, say, please just ask Allah to begin. And everybody's like, nope, don't ask me, don't ask me, not me, not me, not me. I cannot talk to Allah today, because he's angry. Go to Muhammad. And everybody, even those who disbelieve in the Prophet Muhammad, will go to Muhammad Saying, oh Prophet of Allah, just please. You're a man who's been forgiven completely. Would you ask on our behalf? And what does he say? Ana laha, I am for it, I am for it. Yes, yes, this is, this is my day. And it is reported he'll go to Allah, to his throne. Nobody sees that. And underneath the throne of Allah, he'll prostrate. And make dhikr of Allah. The Prophet says something beautiful. He says, Allah will open for me to praise him in ways he's never been praised before. So you know praises? Alhamdulillah, subhanAllah, la ilaha illallah, akbar. You know, like even when you hear um, special du'as with melodious words, poetic expressions, we're like, whoa, that's very moving. You know, even when you read any, um, whether, what do you call it, uh, spoken word or poetry, we're like, whoa, somebody, somebody spoke these words? They sound amazing, remarkable, captivating. Imagine a day when the Prophet will prostrate and you're going to hear him say things in praise of Allah in words that they've never been heard before. Even he, he's never said those words before. Allah will open for him to express praises of Allah that no angel, no human has ever heard. And he'll continue to do this until Allah says, Oh Muhammad, raise your head and ask and you shall be answered and intercede and you shall be granted. And he said, he raises his head and says, Oh Allah, just begin the day of judgment and he says go back go back to the people I'm coming and Allah according to that he starts to descend to to and puts his throne um, somewhere in the, Allah knows Allah is above time and space it's not like an object being placed that's only in the knowledge of Allah and begins the day of judgment and later in that day we know that the Prophet will be waiting by what his pulpit the pulpit he had on earth will be there on the day of judgment next to what? The basin of water of Kawthar. The river of Kawthar ends in a basin, in a big <coughs> container, sitting there. And the Prophet stands on his pulpit waiting for who? The believers, all of them to come. Because everybody is thirsty and they want a drink. And the Prophet will be looking. And be looking for the believers. And how does he know them? They'll all try to come. Some will be blocked because they're really hypocrites. Like they never believe in Prophet Muhammad. But they want there. And the angels will block them. But the others, when they come, the Prophet would know them by what? Light marks. And we saw this in what surah? This is review, test. You know them by their marks. What surah? Remember the people on the, on the walls? Looking at the believers and looking at those in hellfire, they're saying, oh, so, but we know them by remark, light coming out of them. And the Prophet says, we'll look at their foreheads and there's light, and there's light coming out of their ankles. From what? From wudu. SubhanAllah. What a, what a moment to look forward to. And he'll be saying, come, come, by name. And he'll know you by name. Allah gave him that knowledge. Can you imagine the first moment when you hold his hand? And then he'll, you know, and you're thirsty and he knows it, then he'll grab a cup of water from that basin and just gives it to you. And you'll be quenched forever. Quenched forever, brother. No thirst after that. And he's saying, I'm waiting. He says in a hadith, don't cry over me. I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you at the pulpit next to the basin. That's his promise, by the way. He's waiting. And that's a moment that is, inshallah, we're promised on the day of judgment. Why? Out of his love and concern, brothers and sisters. SubhanAllah. And he's, he himself, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, is mentioned in a report that he will not settle in Jannah until he pulls every believer that is left in the hellfire. 
he will not rest. That's Prophet Muhammad says. And Allah talks about it here. It's all implied in this beautiful description. He says, just thank Allah that this man is yours. Because of his heart. And Allah concludes this surah by saying, after all of this, instead of you thanking Allah and loving this man, you hurt him. And you hurt yourself, of course, if you hurt him. Right? You're, you're, you're putting yourself on a path of destruction if you don't listen to what he's asking you to do. Like a child not listening to their parents. And saying, no, 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 I'm stubborn, I want to do what I want to do. And they hurt themselves. But this is far worse. So he says, if if they really continually turn away from you, reject you, refuse their repentance, and they're hypocritical, and they are um, harmful to others, whatever it is, they're refusing to just be with you, and they hurt you. So I, then I wanted to say something, he says. I wanted to proclaim it amongst everybody. Hasbi Allah. Hasbi Allah. What is Hasbi Allah? Allah is Hasbi. Hasbi in Arabic means He's the one that suffices me. He's my representative. He's the one that I turn to. He's the one who completes me. He's all in all. The one who is all in all. He's everything. There's no one to turn to, turn to but Allah. Hasbi Allah. And the word Hasbi in Arabic is interesting. So it derives from also a verb that's, you know, a verb that is hasaba. What is hasaba? Calculate. You know, this is interesting. Within the word hasbi means he is sufficient for me. Right? But the word that it's derived from means calculate. Hasaba. Hisab in Arabic is the science of, of, of uh, adding and subtracting. Arithmetic. Arithmetic in Arabic is called hisab. So what is hisab? <laughs> Calculating have to do with he's sufficient for me. <coughs> Interesting. If you calculate it in any way, and you're really truthful, if you calculate your life in any way, and check your experiences, calculate them, you're going to find that it's only Allah who suffices. That's interesting. And eventually we're going to see this. No matter how blind you are, one day you will see that it's really Allah who is the most sufficient for you, who took care of everything for you. That there's no one else you can turn to but Allah. Calculate it. Indeed, from using hisab, that he's hasbuk. And Allah's teaching us here, whenever you're afraid, whenever you're harmed, whenever you run out of causes, means the doors have closed on you, brothers and sisters. It looks difficult. The task looks difficult. You don't have a job. You're looking for relief. You're sick. You cannot get well. Your child is struggling. People are scheming on you. People have said things about you that are not truthful. You've been fired. Whatever. Your relatives are giving you a hard time. Your spouse. What should you say? Hasbi Allah. Hasbi Allah. Brothers is just saying that Allah will suffice you. But mean it. And the Prophet is being taught. If they turn away after all these things, then say, Hasbi Allah. La ilaha illa No, there's no God but He. Of course He has to be Hasbi. What's God? God is the causer of causes. Brothers and sisters, Allah controls every motion in the universe. Even your thoughts. You cannot think a thought without Allah. Will anything without Allah. He moves every, literally, literally, every molecule in your body. Every atom in your body cannot function. Every cell will not move without Allah. And he does this simultaneously for all creation. And he's saying, you think you can control anything? Allah controls everything. Allah causes everything to occur to be sustained completely with his knowledge and his mercy and his power. And so he says, acknowledge this by saying, there is no God but Allah. Then he repeats it, say, alayka tawakkaltu. On you is I turn my trust. Ya Allah, I turn my full trust in you. What is trust in Allah? Tawakkul. Tawakkul in, in Islamic understanding implies two things. Your heart fully recognizes Allah is in control. Sure, you gave me a job, Abdullah, but it's Allah. Right? Surely, you know, you took the medicine, it's Allah. Yeah, that's the means. Right? Allah is behind everything. That's the heart. What about your limbs? Can we say, for example, I'm going to pray for, you know, cure for my cancer. Allah, just, I have to do tawakkul. Take medicine. No. Allah will take care of it. Because he says, make tawakkul. Okay, prepare for your exam. No. Study. Alhamdulillah, Allah speaks of tawakkul, here it is. Allah will take care of you. Allah will say what? 
you're going to fall on your head, on your face. And you're going to fail, and don't complain, don't blame anyone but yourself. That's not tawakkul. Your limbs have to be busy with what? Work, effort, taking it to the utmost, study hard, seek every cure, prepare, plan, be strategic, get your degrees, help others, right? Sweat. And your heart has to turn to Allah. Understanding the outcomes are in the hands of who? Allah. That's tawakkul. So he's telling the Prophet, say, alayka tawakkaltu. And he is the master, the Lord of what? The supreme divine throne. Why? What does a throne remind you of when we speak of throne of the king and the queen? What does it symbolize? Kingdom. Kingdom. The ruler, the king. Power. Power. Control. So this is a symbol. He's saying, say there's no God but he... Upon him I trust, he is indeed the Lord, the master of the most supreme, the loftiest, the most exalted throne. Means there's no king like him. There's no ruler like him. He rules over not just earth, and Mars and Venus, and the sun. He rules over what? Everything. Everything in the created order. All the angels in heaven and realms you don't even see. What a beautiful thing, brothers and sisters. Wallah, when we are fearful, sad, to remember you are in the hands of the one who rules the heavens and the earth. <laughs> like it's just the thought of it is powerful. Like, whoa. I'm I I'm I'm that's my Lord, my master, and I'm worried about this life. It settles you. It really does settle the human being. It's only when we forget in whose hands where our lives are that we become scared and worried and anxious and well, lose it, right? We become mad and depressed and subhanAllah because life is hard. Every time we shift away from Allah, we become terrified. Everything you anchor yourself in the knowledge that SubhanAllah is sufficient for me. And He rules over the heavens and the earth, and He causes everything. He strengthens you. So He's telling if they turn away continuously and they reject you and they hurt, don't worry. Your success, your life is in the hands of who? Allah. They can never hurt you. I'm your care. These are the two verses, brothers and sisters. When one of two things essential from this is Number one, Prophet Muhammad says, you want my shafa'ah, you want my intercession, you want my special love for you, for you, what should you do? He said, actually, one hadith, whoever says, la ilaha illallah, mukhlisan biha qalbu, yani, his heart is really sincere in saying, la ilaha illallah, he deserves my shafa'ah. That's a amazing. Like, just sit down, it's like, la ilaha illallah. Say it now. La ilaha illallah. Just wallahi out of a desire for the intercession of Prophet Muhammad inshallah, grant it. And another he says, those of you closest to me on the day in, the, in Jannah, closest, right there, shoulder to shoulder, my companions, are the ones who say what the most? Salaam the Prophet. Salaam the Prophet, exactly. We underestimate the power of Allahumma salli wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad. It cures you. Here in this hadith he says, you will be my companion for sure. Because you love me so much, you're making dua for me. He doesn't need your dua, by the way, and my dua. Salah means asking Allah to give special care for the Prophet and elevation. That's really what it means. You're saying, Ya Allah, give the Prophet Salah. Salah from Allah to him means mercy, special mercy. And salah upon this beloved man, right? That's what you're saying in Salah. Allah doesn't need that. Does he really need your Salah and my Salah on the Prophet? I mean, he's already like taking, his name is under the throne of Allah. Why did then his, he have us do it? Because he says, whenever you remember him, you get closer to me, you purify your heart. But this is one of the things to do when you lose anything, I mean it. If you lose anything, if your heart is in pain, if you're, if you're, if you're upset, if, if you're anxious, you know what's the best thing to do? Make salah on the Prophet even now, my daughter, when I lose things and I'm not finding, say, did you make your salah on the Prophet? I'm like, oh. <laughs> and wallahi, 99% of the time, I make salah on the Prophet, I'll find the item that I lost. If you trust it, wallahi, I'm not exaggerating. I'll find it. And number two, it heals you. Wallahi, it will heal. But these are the things we need to do, brothers and sisters. Otherwise, all what we're learning is just abstractions. They don't mean anything. Day and night, make at least 100 times a day of salah on the Prophet. And Allah says, Prophet Muhammad said, 
Every time you make salah on me, Allah makes salah on you. Which means what? Mercy and care. Imagine for each time that Allah will return the favor by 10. You make one salah on the Prophet, Allah makes how many on you? 10. That's why I teach your children to say salah on Allah. Wallahi, it will, it will nourish their hearts and give them faith. One of the things that is missing in our Islamic education, uh, we emphasize subhanAllah, we emphasize memorize Quran, memorize Quran, memorize, which is great. You need, they need to memorize Quran. It's the best, one of the good, best things, but they also need to understand. And they need to love Prophet Muhammad You want your children to be saved, Allah, brothers and sisters, and their faith to be good and to grow, make them love Prophet Muhammad And teach them to make salah on him. Allah will be there for them. Because there's no other way. That purifies them. And purifies you. And it earns you the companionship of Prophet Muhammad Finally, I say this. Um, inshallah. Finally, I say that um, the kuffar, when they heard the Prophet declaring that he is the messenger of Allah, what did they say? Oh, liar. Fools. Because they've experienced it for 40 years. Someone else, when they heard he's the messenger of Allah, said something different, believed in him. Who is that? Give me an example. First, Abu Bakr, Zakalakir. How about Khadija? When he came down from the cave saying, I think I lost my mind. I think I was visited by jinn. What did she tell him? Look at this crazy guy that I married. Oh, shit. What did I marry? Did he lose his mind? No. She reminded him, no, 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 you're a good man. You took care of the needy. You were there for people in trouble and in hardship, relieving them of their suffering. You're good to your neighbor. There's no way Allah will disgrace you. Look at the reaction of a faithful woman. My point is, they've experienced him to be the best man. How can I tell him, he tells me, I saw an angel, I don't believe in him. And Abu Bakr, when, he, when they told him, hey, your friend said that he went to heaven last night. Because everybody was making fun of Prophet Muhammad Yo, you went to the heavens? Really? A miraj. Even, you know, Abu, I think Abu Jahl. forgot who amongst, uh, amongst the, the disbelievers, the leaders. He ran into him in the street after miraj. Remember, in one night he went to the heavens and came back. Jerusalem, heavens, came back. He knocked on his door. He said, oh, Muhammad, something. They were talking. He's like, oh, by the way, last night I went to the heaven and came back. He's like, what? Really? So he's like, oh, good opportunity. Oh, really? He went to the heavens? Oh, tell me more. Then he said to him, what? He didn't say, oh, you fool, you liar. He said, oh, yeah, 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 good, good, good. Ooh. He said, would you tell this in front of people? Why? Because he knew if he said it in front of people, everybody would be like, ah, ha, 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 ha. So he took him outside. He's like, hey, Muhammad, do you want to tell people what you told me? And Prophet Muhammad said, yeah, last night I went to Jerusalem and then to the heavens. And everybody starts laughing. They went to Abu Bakr. It's an opportunity. Hey, let's get Abu Bakr to disbelieve in this liar. Hey, Abu Bakr, you know what your friend said? He said, what did he say? He said, last night he left here, traveled to Jerusalem, and then to the seventh heaven and came back. What do you think of that, Abu Bakr? He said, did he say it? He said, yeah, yeah. He said this. He said, I believe him. <laughs> That's it. He never told a lie in his life. How would I not believe him? Contrast the reactions. One final word, inshallah. Next time, inshallah, I know I, it was, this is a moment to pause, these two verses, for sure. Because Allah asks us to pause on them. And to act on them with salah on the Prophet And praying for him. And understanding his heart. And wallahi, brothers as I say. In conclusion, one of the things to take from these two verses is what kind of hearts and heart, and heart do I have? You and I. How do we behave with people? Concern? There's no such thing as being a teacher, mentor, leader, helper, healer, without having a heart that does what? Has concern over the people you deal with. Everyone outside. How do we feel about them? Praying against them? Or saying, Ya Allah, Ya Allah, save them. Save these people. They're hurting themselves. We're hurting ourselves. If you don't have deep concern and love and affection and empathy for people, but this is we're not really understanding who Prophet Muhammad was. That's one of the deepest lessons of Islam. Have a heart. Not just be a man or woman of rituals and words, rhetoric. Ah, lecturing people all the time. 
And wallahi, I know many in my life who says, oh yeah, we told them, Allah's one, say la ilaha Allah, otherwise you go to hellfire. That's it, I deliver. Because I'm relieved now, alhamdulillah, I fulfilled my responsibility. That's like X on it. You have no concern for someone. You have no heart. Deep lesson from these two verses. Next time we're going to get into Surah Yunus. And I'm going to share with you just the first verse. Second, sorry. He says, Alif Lam Ra. Indeed, Tilka Ayatul Kitab al These are the verses, the signs of the book that is the wisest. Link to the next surah. Allah says, did people find it strange and odd that we have revealed the scripture for a man from them who came to them telling them, warning them, and sending glad tidings to the believers that they shall have a firm footing with Allah. The kuffar said, oh, this is a, this is a, a, a manifest magician. He's saying, you're finding that off? See the linkage? So we'll talk next time, what's that surah about? Allah in it, in summary, says, it's not me who's odd. It's not the prophet who came to you with this wondrous, teach, with the wondrous guidance that you're saying, oh, it's magic, magic. It's you who is what? who's inconsistent, illogical, contradictory. Next time is very important, by the way. We're going to talk about how to tackle, you know, when you have doubts. Many of us brothers ask about faith, for example. Why did Allah guide this guy and not that guy? How come, you know, uh, there's a, somebody will go to the hellfire? How come, all these are how comes? How come, how come, how come? How do I know God exists? How, how come Sharia says this? All the how comes that lead us to doubting Allah, Allah answers how to answer that. One surah. You know questions about qada and qadar? Faith, that's very hard. Do we have will or don't we have will? You know those questions? Well, if God wrote the qadar, then how come, right? How come he's going to hold me accountable, put me in the hellfire? You know those questions that throw people off? Answer the next surah. How do you understand the actions of Allah? It's all in the next surah. And who is the strange one? Allah in His Quran or you and me? And Allah is going to show us how we are the weak ones who are full of contradictions, who derive or rely on nothing but conjecture. And He's saying, which one do you hold on to? Really beautiful surah. Inshallah, sorry that we didn't um, spend the time on it today, but Jazakallah for pausing us and stopping us to really reflect on these two verses because they're really significant for our faith. Jazakum Allah khair, inshallah. We'll open the floor uh, for comments and questions.